Inkless Nation, welcome to the second half of the live stream that Ryan and I did to cover the acquisition of FTX by Binance. The first half of the show, which we've already released on the RSS feed, covered the news, covered the tweets, covered the events of what happened, what unfolded between Binance and FTX, between CZ and SBF. In the second half of the show, we opened things up and we invited people on the show to give their takes and their thoughts and their perspectives. And who ended up coming onto the show? It's pretty damn interesting. First came Ryan Selkis of Mazari, followed by Eric Voorhees, followed by Brian Armstrong of Coinbase. And so these guests really ramped up over time. And so this is the episode that you are about to hear. And I just wanted to give you that context. First, you're going to hear Ryan Selkis of Mazari, who was calling in on his phone, followed by Eric Voorhees, the guy that we had hosting the debate between SBF, one of the, one of the players of the early parts of this story, followed by Brian Armstrong, who decided to call in all the way from Japan to offer his perspectives and his takes as to what the hell is going on in the crazy world of centralized exchanges and how Coinbase is not playing in those games, yet still moving the needle forward when it comes to crypto. This was a hugely spontaneous event that we hosted on Bankless, a spontaneous live stream where people just wanted to show up and offer their perspectives. And it was a great time hosting all three of these guests. So I hope you enjoy their conversations and their takes about what happened. But first, before we get there, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Arbitrum One is pioneering the world of secure Ethereum scalability and is continuing to accelerate the Web3 landscape. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum One, producing flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. With the recent addition of Arbitrum Nova, gaming and social dApps like Reddit are also now calling Arbitrum home. Both Arbitrum One and Nova leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible. On Arbitrum, both builders and users will experience faster transaction speeds with significantly lower gas fees. With Arbitrum's recent migration to Arbitrum Nitro, it's also now 10 times faster than before. Visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first dApp. With Arbitrum, experience Web3 development the way it was meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. The Brave Wallet is your secure multi-chain on-ramp into Web3 and it's built directly into the Brave privacy browser. Gone are the days of managing multiple wallet extensions that put you at risk of phishing, spoofs, and tracking. With the Brave wallet, you can securely manage your crypto assets across more than 100 different chains, including Ethereum, Layer 2s, Solana, and more, all without downloading risky extensions. The Brave wallet is easy to set up and removes the headache of jumping between wallets and extensions. It's lightweight, but packed with great features like built-in token swaps, buying and holding NFTs with a gallery view, and support for hardware wallets. But also much more than that, because Brave is shipping new features every single month with a mission to make Web3 easier to navigate for its over 55 million users. Wallet extensions are a thing of the past. So get started with Brave's Web3 Ready browser today and experience a decentralized web seamlessly without all the clutter. You can download the browser at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. Nexo is your financial hub for all your crypto needs. Nexo lets you buy crypto instantly with your credit or debit card or via bank transfer. They also have an awesome advanced trading platform called Nexo Pro that pays you rewards when you swap crypto assets. And Nexo also lets you earn interest on your crypto in Bitcoin, ETH, or other assets. And they also give you an instant crypto line of credit with as low as 0% APR. And they also give you access to a crypto-backed MasterCard of course, earning you more crypto when you use it. So enhance your financial life with Nexo, who ensures all credit lines are over collateralized with insurance on all custodial assets. Nexo, the right place for your crypto. So click the link in the show notes to join over 5 million users who are getting the most out of their crypto. Can, can, can we talk about the, the regulatory impact? Because I think that's related to this. So I believe uh, Ryan Selkis is in the waiting room. Oh, why don't we have that conversation in? with him? Yeah. Okay. All right. You want to stop sharing screen, Ryan? Yeah. What's up, Mr. Selkis? Are you with us? I am. How's it going? Hey, how's it going? Uh, hey, so you're, uh, on, you're on a stream, by the way. I'm on a stream. I'm live. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're, you're live right. with 3,000 people watching. So we just got off uh, of a rant all throughout about everything that's going on. Uh, and the conclusion that we that we want to unpack is... Is there, how big of legal trouble do you think SPF is in? Um, well, I, I think everybody's speculating off the same public information right now. So I actually think that's a secondary issue, to be honest with you. I think the bigger issue is what's going on with the DCCPA 
and the legislative agenda for the rest of the year. Okay. Um, and in my mind, you know, this should be a killer for the DCCPA for, for this year. Um, it's difficult to envision a scenario where this gets pushed through before the end of the year, given how influential FTX and their team has been in these conversations. The flip side is, I don't know if this really did us any favors in terms of, um, you know, urging caution and restraint and, and a kind of balanced, comprehensive approach to, um, to whatever legislative package could, could be pushed next year. So there is an argument to be made that um, this actually pushes us in the wrong direction um, and that there might be some more urgency to, to put something through almost like as an immediate measure, uh, an emergency measure to, to make sure that there's a little bit more oversight of the exchanges in short order. So uh, we'll, we'll have a little bit more color, I think, after we see the results of the election tonight in terms of which, which way the balance is going to shift. Ryan, um, is it fair to say that this uh, definitely makes the crypto industry, crypto community look bad? Is this another black eye for us? Well, yeah. I mean... <laughs> 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 any other questions <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> i mean know, look how man, bad I, the, like... way, the, the way i mean the way the way that this went down was uh, i i mean i don't i don't know exactly what the thought process was over the weekend uh but this certainly could have been handled a little bit differently my my honest, transparent guess is that um, CZ wanted to take Sam down a peg, given how much time and energy FTX has been spending on the lobbying front and, and you know, frankly, doing some things that might have been net unfavorable to Binance. But maybe the reaction today was trying to um, kind of stem the negative effects of that weekend action. Um, because I, I think that there's a good chance that uh, CZ didn't realize how damaging those comments would be over the weekend. And the goal was to kind of jab, not name um, FTX. And, and it's just kind of spiraled. That, that's my you know, kind of poor man's speculation, which I think is the same thing that everybody's playing a guessing game around. But that, that seems to be the thing that makes the most sense uh, from my vantage point, just having watched this play out and, and having kind of known what some of the political issues are right now. How does this look though, to like a, a typical legislator, you know, um, I mean, how would it, what would they make of this? I knew we, we, we all know SBF was very, um, kind of tied into kind of the regulatory scene and was somewhat of a key contributor and a champion for the DCCPA. Uh, and now, um, we're looking at the collapse, the bailout, of FTX, his entire exchange. Uh, how does a, a legislator well, interpret well, this? Well, let me, I mean, yeah, I mean, let's just clarify. We don't actually know that this is a bailout, right? This is a non-binding LOI, and this could have been what I just said, which is to um, just prevent contagion and, and kind of hysteria from taking hold. But there's still plenty of opportunities for, you know, both sides to walk away, uh, FTX to line up other financing, figure out the duration issues on their, on their books that, that could be causing some of this. And, and eventually, you know, these, these could, you know, both continue to be independent kind of going concern exchanges, both internationally and domestically. So let's not conflate like a binding purchase agreement and a, a non-binding LOI. That's number one. But from a, from a, uh, your second point, the policymakers, I don't think the policy priorities have changed. It's still, let's have oversight of the exchanges. Nobody disagrees with that. Let's make sure that the stable coins are well-regulated and properly integrated in the financial system so you don't have a Luna situation and you have fully reserved stable coins that don't give you tether-like vibes. That's still a no-brainer and that's still something that's on everybody's mind. But the third thing that wasn't really solved by DCCPA and, and that hopefully would be better integrated in comprehensive legislation or kind of a third act, if you will, third pillar to this, is where do we draw the line between digital commodities and securities, right? And, and how do we classify tokens? And I think what's opened up now is the opportunity for us to have a serious conversation about what do you disclosures, safe harbors, 
um, and and you know kind of fit for purpose regulation look like for that broad bucket of assets. And the, the story that was buried today that's just as important as what happened with library. Um, so that third issue is only getting more pronounced uh, in its importance. And it's, it's something that has to be solved regardless of DCCPA. So I think exchange oversight before and after what happened today, it's, it's still the same priority. And I think it's maybe more urgent from uh, policymakers' perspectives. Um, Stablecoin, same thing, but, but the hard work and the kind of standard setting that's gonna happen over the next few months and maybe some self-regulatory efforts for a change that we've discussed, but have never really got momentum. Now there's probably a little bit more industry-wide urgency to get that right. And, and I think that's, you know, on the margin, I think it's a good thing. And, and we could still come out of this in a healthier, in a healthier position, um, uh, even though this is a, uh, an immediate term setback. But all this really means is that it's going to have to be a more coordinated industry response versus one firm pushing the envelope. Brian, thanks so much for uh, cluing us in on the regulatory impact here in the DCCPA. I appreciate the work you're doing. And um, uh, I guess, do you have any other concluding thoughts from today's events? Recognizing it's all still early, there's a lot more to play out. Anything else you'd leave us with? Uh, leverage is bad. <laughs> Trading customer deposits, also bad. Yeah. Ryan, thanks so much, man. We'll, uh, we'll see you around. We'll do it again soon. Thanks, guys. All right. Take care. Uh, David. Yeah, we we got we have uh, more to cover, Ryan. So I, that if that was a nice little break for for Ryan to come in and talk, so I could peruse Twitter. So there there are things to discuss. Uh, here's a tweet from Brian Armstrong. But before we read this tweet from Brian Armstrong, I just wanted to say thank you to the three thousand people we got watching the show. Uh, if you are not uh, liking the video yet, please do. Uh, if you are not subscribed to Bankless, please subscribe. Uh, we kind of cover these events whenever we can, uh, and we have a fun time doing it. So make sure you like and subscribe to the video. Um, Brian Armstrong, the one other exchange founder left standing, uh, the most humble of all exchange founders, the least main <laughs> character perhaps, uh, put out a tweet thread. Ryan, you want to walk us through this tweet thread? Yeah. Brian goes, uh, number one, first off, I have a lot of sympathy for everyone involved in the current situation with FTX. It's stressful. Anytime there's potential for customer loss. That's right, Brian. It's very stressful. Number two, second, Coinbase doesn't have any material exposure to FTX or FTT and no exposure to Alameda. Thank God. Also, number three, I think it's important to reinforce what differentiates Coinbase in a moment like this. This event appears to be the result of risky business practices, including conflicts of interest between deeply intertwined entities and misuse of customer funds. This is interesting. So what he's already established is first, I have sympathy. Second, we don't have exposure, not us. We have nothing to do with this. Third, I feel like David, he's starting to tee up making the case maybe for some uh, independent, some separation between sort of a hedge fund and uh, and an exchange. You can't be both. Maybe he's uh, tilting the conversation towards that. Four, Coinbase has always strived to be the most trusted player in the space. We don't engage in this type of risky activity. Five, we don't do anything with our customers' funds unless directed to by the customer. We hold all asset dollar for dollar and users can withdraw their money anytime. Number six, we are incorporated in the U.S. and publicly listed in the U.S. Because we believe that transparency and trust are so important, every investor and customer can see our publicly audited financials, which show how we hold customer funds. We've never issued an exchange token. Interesting. Never issued an exchange token. I could see Brian laying down some best practices here, right? You shouldn't have a fund and you shouldn't have an exchange. They shouldn't be part of the same family of businesses. You shouldn't have an exchange token. It's right? crazy that we out. have to say this. <laughs> well, we have to learn the hard way. Everything, uh, I think, uh, in this industry. Part of the issue, number seven uh, here, is that regulators have been forced onshore uh, in each of their respective markets, while customers have moved offshore in companies with more opaque and risky business practices. Oh, now this is a shot across the bow to regulators, hmm. David. So he's saying, hey, regulators, you know what? Uh, customers are getting hurt because you're not allowing us to keep their funds safe. So they're seeking these services in other shadowy jurisdictions. They still want the services this market needs, but you're pushing them outside and so they're still getting, they're, they're getting the worst of all worlds. They're getting the risk. To take the U.S. as an example, 95% of crypto trading has developed overseas. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Mm -mm. I thought it was like, like 80%. 95% is developed overseas, he said, because crypto regulation in the U.S. has been hard to navigate. 
That's bad for the US and Americans are still losing money in these overseas blowups. Number nine, the temptation from events like these is to call for more heavy-handed regulation. This would just make the problem of crypto companies and crypto users going overseas worse. This is a very fair point. Uh, number 10, we should continue to work with policymakers to create sensible regulation for centralized exchanges, custodians in each market, as we've been doing for some time. But uh, then we need to see a level playing field in the forest, which hasn't happened to date. Long term, the crypto industry has an opportunity to build a better system with DeFi and self-custodial wallets that don't rely on trusting third parties. Instead, you could trust in code math. Everything can be publicly auditable on chain. Sounds like DeFi, David. This is a topic for another day. A strong tweet thread from Brian laying out his case for Coinbase and uh, the, the long-term direction for the space. By the way, David, you know what? I think in the aftermath of this, we should really get Brian uh, on the podcast. Yeah, I think people would, would, it would be refreshing to hear from Brian. Uh, I put out this tweet. It's funny. I saw you put out this tweet right after I put out the same tweet. Uh, this is just, you know, why I enjoy you as my co-host, Ryan. Where you <laughs> both tweeted out, like, thank God for Brian Armstrong. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, I, and it's not to say that anything that CZ is doing is, maybe it's, maybe it's, less than neutral it's not inherently bad but i'm just glad that there is a centralized crypto exchange founder who isn't playing and is just focusing on himself a little lawful good category lawful lawful good category of which is exactly what we need as the u.s onshore exchange absolutely what's this other tweak uh yeah so uh while i was uh doing writing some notes for the show up only was live streaming and they were they were trying to get people on uh they of course wanted to get sbf on (laughs) they wanted to get cz on they're not gonna come on but and so who do they get they get doquan uh who's not that that, the one with your cursor in the top right is uh the guy at winter mute i I don't know who the guy is okay yeah yeah. also martin screlly also showed up and then there's (laughs) kobe just like laying on the ground is like what the hell is going on (laughs) yeah it's crazy crazy times uh crypto is uh never boring i gotta say that david mm-hmm. um all right well, i, I feel think like the, the last thing i think we want to do is pull up coin gecko um let's pull up oh, yeah. coin, coin gecko uh what the impact is markets down bad ryan markets down uh, bad how bad i haven't looked at this yeah all right, let, me look. Uh-huh. let me look uh and so ether Ether 20% hit. down ETH. yes yeah so ether was at 1220 it, it bottom ticked at 1220 uh, and as soon as I saw that, I opened up Coinbase. Coinbase uh, was having uh, trouble keeping up with server load. And so I kept on having to refresh it. Uh, I sadly did not make a sub $1,300 buy. I bought about Wait, 13. that's what you're buying. You're buying ETH on a day like this. You're yes. not buying BNB? I'm not buying BNB, no. You can, uh, we'll, we'll go to BNB later. I, but I'm just saying, I bought today. I bought at 1310. I really wanted that 1250, but the jumped back <laughs> up too high. Look at that. Let's open up BNB. Let's open up the BNB chart. It's still down 7% today, David. Yeah, it's down 7% where everything else... Look, it jumped up. As soon as the news happened, it jumped up to 375. Uh, all-time, all-time highs? Oh, not, not quite all-time highs. Um, uh, but uh, the, since then, not the whole market has nuked. Uh, and I'm wondering where that sell pressure came from. Definitely a lot of fear. I'm, I'm worried that Alameda liquidated whatever it's got. Um, but a lot of sell <laughs> could it be any worse came. is this worse than three hours capital david uh i i mean this is we're at the bottom of this local liquidation event i don't i don't think there's any more contagion the contagion is just between alameda and ftx i think this is a local bottom these um, are pretty big parties though let's not big, discount them big, yeah. like mm-hmm. uh how's by the way how's uh solana holding solana up? is it cro- caught in the crossfire so uh, solana wow. has gotten hit particularly bad because uh it's a big asset of sam and probably, uh, presumably, uh, uh, Alameda. It's kind of associated with all of them. So Solana has gotten hit particularly bad. This is a the, Solana is at lows for the year, where you know Ether is almost two x its lows. Bitcoin is like fifty percent up on its lows. Solana is at its lows for the year. Um, but I mean, I, I kind of think this this is a fair bottom to call. Um, I'm not one for calling bottoms. Um, a Solana bottom. I saw a Solana bottom. Yeah, I could call a Solana bottom here. Um, you know what else is bottoming, Ryan? Uh, tell me. Ether supply. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Are we really doing we're, this? We're, we're doing this right now. So Wait, Gap, first of all, but first of all, we forgot to talk about Bitcoin just briefly. 12% down, huh? Yeah. yeah. So Ether down 17%, Bitcoin down 12%. Yeah. All right, all right. Um, we are so close and I've been oh waiting God. for this moment. We are so close. 
Look at that straight line down. Gas has been between one and 400 guay. We're at 50 guay. It got up to 400 guay, Ryan, and we are burning ether like crazy. Look at that, 600 guay, 600 guay. And we are burning ether like crazy right now. More Wait, than we've we ever burned. Wait, we are at 600 guay? Where's the, where's the we gas? Peaked, we peaked it. Uh, yeah, low down, just there, this. you can see the peak. Yep, mm -hmm. that was 600 oh guay. God. Some blocks hit 600 guay. Uh, I'm sure we burnt something like 10, 20, 30 ether it's per block. Because when stuff happens in crypto, a lot well, of blocks are being yeah. demanded. Mm -hmm. Things on chain uh, get expensive. Yeah. Uh, I bet you if we hang out here, Ryan, for a little bit. Oh, except uh, Eric Voorhees is in the room. So here comes Eric. Uh, okay. And But we are at 0.02% of ether supply. What's up, Eric? Hey, can you hear hey, me? Eric. Hey, yeah. how's it going? How's it going? <laughs> it's going all right. What a fucking day. Yeah. <laughs> what do you make of this, man? What's happened? Um, so I was out this morning and my phone starts blowing up and I was like rushing to get back to see what was happening. And, um, I've been watching all the drama between CZ and SPF over the last few days. Uh, and then to see that CZ might be buying FTX is, is crazy. So it's just crazy. You've seen a lot. You've seen a lot in crypto. There've been a lot of crazy days in crypto, right? I and mean, we've had some even this year. Um, how would you rank this one? I mean, did this one get you by surprise? I, I was telling David that the beginning of the show, I, I like to say now when people ask like, um, you know, what do you think of this event? I'm like, I'm never surprised. Uh, and then crypto continues to surprise me. Like a day like today was, was surprising to me, but you've been in crypto for, for longer than I, Eric, what, you know, how do you rank today? Like what's on the surprise meter? I mean, this is a 10 on the surprise meter. This is like the, <laughs> the most dramatic soap opera event that I've seen. Um, there, there have been more, there have been days that were more calamitous for sure. Like Mac, Mount Gox going down or three arrows or something. But um, this is definitely the weirdest. This one seems like the, the most, like it was written into a script yeah. to just fuck with everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, is is, and is, then, <laughs> is CZ like the mastermind that people in you know crypto uh, Twitter are making him out to be? Um, so there's definitely like an Icarus phenomenon in crypto, right? You get these people that they come in and build up some momentum and, and traction, and then they get super popular and everyone loves them, and they're like a god. And so many of those people have been destroyed or destroyed themselves sometimes very quickly. Um, CZ, I think it's the, the crown for being in such a high position for so long um, and doing it so well. So it does not, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know inside of his head, but he's clearly <laughs> executing at a level that is impressive. And um, who, who knows how much of this was pre-orchestrated or not, but it certainly looks, like a masterful move in hindsight, um, I guess we need to be careful not to assume what's going to happen, right? All that's happened is a of a, a letter of intent. Um, an actual deal could fall apart for a, a thousand reasons, uh, and the whole thing may end up being a huge black mark on the industry. But right now, it looks like CZ's in in the position of uh, the kingmaker. This is the meme, right? Where their their crypto Twitter's got the meme of uh, you never want to be the main character because if you're the main character, you're about to be killed off. Uh, <laughs> CZ has been the main character for a main character for a long time. He's made it through all the seasons. He's on season eight, <laughs> and now now like there were like a collection of main characters at times. Like Do Kwan took front stage and center for a while. Uh, Three Rose Capital were, were front and center for a while. CZ's been a main player, but never really like in the same limelight as Doquan or all of them until now. Now he is the main character. Uh, I hope I hope he continues to be around. Yeah, it's um, it's wild, and I I was just talking last night with someone about this. How like yes, these these spats and these feuds are kind of immature kind of unprofessional, maybe very unprofessional. And they kind of make our industry look a little childish, granted. But I would so much rather have this world of like honesty and hyper capitalistic competition out in front of everyone versus the banking system 
which has all sorts of corrupt nonsense happening behind the scenes, but they put on always this like professional face, a suit and tie, super slick, you know, um, marketing brochures and press releases. And it's also fake, right? Like it's also fake. And you, you look at one of these like banking CEOs and there's no way anyone should trust these people. They're like, they, they rise to that occasion sure on their skill, but also on their ability to be completely opaque about their real intentions. And so I like the raw energy and the genuine nature of crypto, even if it may look kind of immature and, and wild west. As content creators, so do David and I, and I, that's for sure. It gives us a lot to work with. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you, you guys have probably had your schedule full, I guess, since our interview with SBF. Well, um, I, I want to ask you about that, Eric. So like, um, you know, some people are saying that this was the first domino to get tipped over. Kind of, they, they hearken back to uh, the conversation that you and SBF had, um, I guess, two weeks ago now, this debate. And in fact, uh, even even CZ, you know, mentioned it as uh, maybe part of a reason for for selling FTT. Uh, you mentioned, you know, SBF's work in DC, maybe going contrary to the industry, something to this effect. Um, do you think that this is all related, or how do you think this regulatory conversation ties in, if at all? And and how do you think maybe uh, lawmakers, those working on the DCCPA? might respond as they're, as they're witnessing the last two days of events unfold. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still trying to process all this. Uh, it does seem that SBF was inviting or encouraging some regulation, which, um, much of the community as in like the authentic crypto people that really care about what we're doing, uh, we're not happy about, and I don't, I don't know this and I don't want to like make up rumors, but I would not be surprised if someone like SBF had been throwing a company like Binance under the bus. Like, like in some ways, Binance is, is, a, is the living, breathing ethos of crypto. It is this renegade company and, and the best one, like the, the best renegade company in crypto that has built something so impressive and, and successful. And you, you just know that it gets trashed like in in the policy circles because it is not it does not play by the normal rules that a US regulated financial institution would um and thank goodness for that right so i wouldn't be surprised if sbf had used binance as the example of how exchanges should not operate and hey regulators let's fix that Right, and he would find lots of allies in in DC with that message. So, um, yeah, this whole thing has just been really wild, and I think most important of all is for people to recognize yet again the dangers of opaque intermediaries that are custodians. This lesson has been learned over and over and over and over and over, and people keep leaving all their funds with these counterparties. Um, some of them are very very trustworthy, right? Like I think Coinbase absolutely falls into that category. I think Kraken falls into that category. Um, but pe but people need to recognize that like DeFi being audible all the time, open source all the time, provably verifiable all the time, operating exactly as the code says, this is such a step function improvement over centralized intermediaries. Any Anyone in DC who actually cares about protecting people needs to pay close attention to that lesson. I hope they see that lesson, Eric. And I think there's a certain irony in um, the conversation that you and SBF were having a, a couple of weeks ago, this debate about protecting retail by having um, registration, by registration being required for all DeFi front ends, right? Um, but the story throughout 2022 has not been a story of like DeFi failing. It's been a centralized exchange and centralized uh, institutions failing due to opaqueness, due to lack of transparency. And and DeFi is uh, a, a way out of that. But one hopes that they'll learn the lessons. I'm just I'm just worried that our industry crypto might come out of this with yet another black eye and with lawmakers not learning the actual lessons they should be learning. I mean, a simple view of this is like, oh, there it goes again. Crypto's the Wild West. They screwed up again. This is why we need the cops uh, on the beat to breathe down their neck and um, bring some law 
to this nefarious industry. I hope that's not the takeaway. It will be the takeaway by everyone who wants to regulate the industry, which is probably most of the regulators. Um, so that's unfortunate. You know, let's hope this doesn't become a black eye. Let's hope that this actually ends up as an example of the industry settling its own issues and perhaps um, something insolvent being A, exposed by the market, B, resolved by the market. That would be wonderful. And that's all on CZ right now. So let's hope it goes there. A lot of responsibility on CZ right now. Uh, Eric, do you have any parting thoughts for us? Uh, you know, this, this, this day, November 8th, anything you, you, you want to say to the crypto community in the, on the back of this? No, just, this is so much more interesting than the election. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there's an election today? Okay. Yes, yeah, there apparently is. there's an election here. So <laughs> everyone make, make sure to go vote so that the government can get bigger tomorrow. Um, <laughs> yeah, th I, th I thought I was going to like be sitting around watching CNN and um, drinking myself to death in misery which is usually what I do on election day, just cause it's kind of fun to do that. But um, this has been so much more interesting, I gotta say. Yeah, this is a, certainly, pe people are going back and forth as, is this the biggest thing since Luna or is this even bigger than Luna? Um, some people- well, we, we don't know how it'll turn out yet, right? So- it, it, Yeah, so it, how much, my, my take is that the contagion is largely contained between FTX and Alameda. I don't can't really think of a world where it escapes that, but like I think well, the, they're, the they're, risk is that a deal does not happen. That a, that a deal, oh, that a deal does not happen. I mean, what, right? Yeah, what's what's been exposed? So yesterday, it was reasonable to believe, as I did, that uh, FTX is fine. All these rumors are just rumors. There's no reason to think that they're insolvent. Um, and then this morning, it's like, oh, boom! Not only are they insolvent, but they're being acquired by um, by CZ. So what's been revealed is that there was an insolvency. Right. People are assuming that this deal fixes it. And if the deal happens, it probably does fix it. But if the deal doesn't happen, which could happen for all sorts of reasons, then where is this insolvency and what are the consequences of that? Right. Uh, the, we, we saw that report that um, SBF went to Wall Street to immediately emergency finance $1 billion, but that the hole in the balance sheet could be as large as 5 to $6 billion, which is a huge hole. Uh, I don't know if those those numbers check out. Um, did, he, did he try borrowing from Ave, or, or did, he not, did he not get through the? <laughs> well, the you KYC need collateral money. to borrow from Ave. Yeah, you need a little bit of collateral. Yeah. And FTT wasn't going to cut it. I'm wondering yep. if if this has uh, from from what I've gathered, uh, Binance is immediately establishing uh, some sort of line of credit to allow for customer withdrawals, so that customers can get their money out of FTX. Um, Unsure as to, again, unsure as the details of that. I'm wondering if, if this has given SBF the time to go actually to Wall Street and put a more sophisticated deal together to have competing offers rather than just being under the thumb of CZ. Do do we know where this insolvency came from? I mean, I I dismissed this as rumors because I was like, a properly run centralized exchange takes customer deposits, and then even if everyone withdraws their deposits, that just means the exchange is empty. It, it should not in and of itself cause right. some kind of run. What What is it that actually was the deficiency? Like, is that a rumor or does anyone know like where actually this came from? So came this from? is, we only have speculation, but the association between FTX and Alameda Research, uh, the idea, the speculation is that um, FTX sent customer deposits to Alameda Research to leverage in their trades. Um, and then Alameda Research returns to them less money than what they the received. What the fuck? Like, really? So the, the, you know, we don't know that that is true. Uh, we just see Alameda Research sending stable coins to FTX to their hot wallet so that, the, so that, so that FTX can facilitate outbound withdrawals. Um, so this, so people are okay. just connecting dots, but without any sort of real substantial evidence. If that is true, this needs to be, if that's true, and I don't want to judge people before things are clear. If that's true, this needs to be the center example of the compliant exchange actually being riskier with customer money than what the unregulated non-compliant DeFi apps would be doing. Like to, to be loaning customer deposits to a risky counterparty to such a degree that a, a decline like this, which is very foreseen, right? Like a, 10, 20, 30% drop in crypto prices is not unheard of. Right. That they would that they would do that while going to Washington DC 
to beg for more regulations to protect people is unforgivable if that's what happened. So let's reserve judgment on that until we know, but what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, F, Sam has been in DC. He's, there's not like this, it's not like this hole in FTX's balance sheet just magically showed up recently. He's been in DC lobbying for the DCCPA while this hole in FTX balance, the balance sheet has existed. Like that feels like a safe bet to, to, to a safe claim to make. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't have a better explanation. It's not, none of this is proven yet again, but um, man, so bad. Yeah. It's as, it's as bad as it gets. So uh, what would you say, Eric, to somebody who says, all right, how do we fix this? Uh, is, is the answer just like DeFi? Is that kind of the bottom line yep. answer? <laughs> so is there more so to it? One, one way to fix it is for centralized intermediaries to be more responsible. And there are some. Coinbase has done an amazing job of that over a very long term. Kraken has done an amazing job of that over a very long term. But the bigger important point here is that we don't want to have to trust people. People fail. People are wrong. People can be malicious. People make mistakes. People are subjective. We don't want people running the financial system. We want the hard laws of code running the financial system. That's how you fix it. Um, so that, that is the lesson here. I uh, definitely hope the industry learns this yeah, lesson. I wonder, I wonder how many more times you have to learn. They won't. <laughs> they won't. So, some people will. Like each, each time this stuff happens, some cohort among the unwashed masses gets bathed in blood and learns the lessons that we try to talk about all the time. Um, and then they're like, oh, I see. I see why self-custody is important. I see why sound money is important. I see why DeFi and open permissionless systems are important. But before that, these were just like bullet points on a white paper and they didn't, they didn't quite get it. These trials and these tests like teach people through the breaking of bones why the financial system that we have today is bad and, and how to make a better one. I mean, one, uh, one example of that, I think, is um, you know, from the time CZ tweeted what he originally tweeted about selling FTT and started making some uh, comparisons between FTX and Alameda uh, and Luna, there was a mass exodus of withdrawals from FTX. And this, I think, uh, is investors and retail um, actually like uh, learning the lessons from Celsius. I mean, I mean, I guess if they totally learned the lesson, they wouldn't have their money on there in the first place. But they were quick to get it off, that's for sure. And I think this also contributed to the, the spiral downward we saw where as of this morning, FTX was uh, no longer able to honor, honor withdrawals. And I mean, just thinking about that, Eric, it's just like, that should not be the crypto experience. Like it should not be the experience of um, a retail user to be able to, to go and try to access their blockchain secured uh, coins, crypto coins, and told that like, sorry, delays, we don't have your money, we can't give it to you, come back tomorrow, wait until we sort it out, we don't know where the money is. Like for that to be a first experience is, is not why we're here and it's not why um, like we call this a bankless uh, financial system. Yeah, it's not bankless if you use a, a custodian. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just atrocious. And like when we created when we created Shapeshift, you know, in 2014, it was in response to Mt. Gox. Like, how do you let people trade cryptocurrencies without taking custody? So the people don't need to trust us. Doesn't matter if they know me, they can just use the system and we're not holding billions of dollars of customer money. And then to have these regulators like, you know, going after us for years under the banner of protecting people um, when this kind of tomfoolery is going on is, is ironic and just makes me so livid. But here's Brian. Hey, Brian. It's good to see you, man. Hey, Eric. Good to see you. What a day. 
I'll, uh, I'll cede the floor to you, sir. In all of my years in crypto, I've never been hacked, scammed, or lost money to a thief. And a lot of that credit goes to my Ledger hardware wallet. The Ledger Nano X and the Ledger Nano S Plus hardware wallets allow users like you and me to secure and manage all of our crypto assets and our NFTs, all with the security of storing users' private keys offline and out of reach from hackers. The Ledger Nano X is the perfect hardware wallet for managing your crypto and NFTs on the go because it connects to your phone with Bluetooth and has a nice big screen for easy transaction readings. Ledger has also upgraded the iconic Ledger Nano S and made the new Ledger Nano S device more DeFi and NFT friendly, making it the perfect hardware wallet for beginners. Ledger has truly maximized for both ease of use and security. So discover which Ledger device is best suited for your journey by going and visiting shop.ledger.com. If you've been listening to Bankless, you know that we're fans of the modular blockchain thesis. The idea that blockchains will separate execution from data availability and consensus, allowing all three to become the best versions of themselves. And Fuel has built the fastest modular execution layer in the industry. By supporting parallel transaction execution, Fuel unlocks significantly faster throughput for the Web3 world. Fuel also goes beyond the limitations of the EVM with its own Fuel VM which is more efficient and optimized, opening up the design space for developers. And lastly, Fuel brings a powerful developer experience with its own domain-specific language, Sway, and a supportive tool chain called Fork. With Fuel, you can have the benefits of smart contract languages like Solidity while adopting the improvements made by the Rust tooling ecosystem, letting the Fuel development environment go beyond the limitations of the EVM. If you want to learn more, there's a link in the show notes to see how you can get involved with the Fuel network. The Layer 2 era is upon us. Ethereum's Layer 2 ecosystem is growing every day, and we need Layer 2 bridges to be fast and efficient in order to live a Layer 2 life. Across is the fastest, cheapest, and most secure cross-chain bridge. With Across, you don't have to worry about high fees or long wait times. Assets are bridged and available for use almost instantaneously. Across's bridges are powered by UMA's optimistic oracle to securely transfer tokens between Layer 2s and Ethereum. Across's critical ecosystem infrastructure and Across V2 has just launched. Their new version focuses on higher capital efficiency, layer two to layer two transfers, and a brand new chain with Polygon, all while prioritizing high security and low fees. You can be a part of Across's story by joining their Discord and using Across for all of your layer two transferring needs. So go to across.to to quickly and securely bridge your assets between Ethereum, Optimism, Polygon, Arbitrum, or Boba networks. Hey, Brian, welcome. Welcome to Bankless. Thank you for uh, for joining us. Um, we were just talking about uh, the, the tweet thread you put out. And uh, we're hoping to get some insight on that. So what, what do you think of today's events? What's kind of going through your mind? Yeah, a lot of stuff. Well, I mean, first of all, it's kind of a difficult moment, obviously, for everybody involved in the markets. The market's going to be down. Um, there's potential for customer losses across a variety of areas. So we got to start with that. And then, you know, I think it's also it's not a great day for crypto. Let's just be honest. Um, you know, this kind of reminds me a little bit of Mt. Gox back in the day. Um, there's folks of us that, that went through that time period and it, it was not pleasant and it, it left a, you know, it left a memory for people for many years, just about what it was like to be in crypto and what's going well and what's not. So I think my hope is that people remember going through this moment that not all companies out there are like this, right? It's not a criticism of crypto writ large. It's really, there's certain actors that are going to do well or do poorly in any kind of environment. And we need to wait to see what all the, until all the facts are in about what exactly happened in this case. But um, yeah, I guess the other thing I'm just thinking about is whether this, you know, the temptation is that this will always lead to sort of, sort of overreaction of regulation. And I don't know if this is Eric, what you were just talking about when I came in, but I think the other thought I have top of mind is the regulatory environment has not help this situation, right? There's, as there's been a lack of clarity um, or trying to move towards more clarity with regulation, many customers have kind of gone towards these offshore unregulated exchanges. And we're seeing these blowups happen. Um, whereas if I think if we'd had more regulatory clarity in the US for the centralized exchanges and custodians, um, you know, customers wouldn't have gone offshore and gotten into even bigger issues. Brian, that was one of your uh, your tweets in your thread that I actually didn't know the stat behind, but you said uh, to take the U.S. as an example, 95% plus of crypto trading has developed overseas. And you say that's because crypto regulation in the U.S. has been hard to navigate. 95% plus. So you're making the case that um, crypto regulation, as we have it in the U.S., is actually putting investors and uh, folks that want to trade in retail in a worse position because we're driving them offshore 
into entities that engage in, in riskier practices. Yeah, that's correct. So that 95% stat is looking at both spot trading and futures. And yeah, it's pretty stark if you look at it. Even if you just look at spot trading alone, um, I think at the beginning of this year, it, the US market was maybe like 23% of global spot for crypto. It's now about 13%. So spot went down, but of course, futures and derivatives and all that really developed offshore because of the lack of re regulatory clarity and, and that market's even bigger. So if you take those in, at least from a trading volume point of view, so if you take those in aggregate, over 95% of the trading volume really moved offshore outside, outside of the US. And of course, you know, we want crypto to be a global thing. So offshore is not necessarily a bad thing. It should be developing in every country of the world. But where it becomes a problem is that if you if you have a for, you know a, a foreign company that's sort of jurisdiction hopping or trying to find one place that's the least regulated and serve the whole world from there, you know, that's where you kind of get to some of these issues. So what do you think the takeaways for regulators and lawmakers uh, should be uh, from this event over the last couple of days? Yeah, I think number one, it's again, it's not an indictment of all crypto. It's by the way, these kind of blow ups happen in the traditional financial system, you know, as well. Look at 2008 and all kinds of situations. Right. So that's not we don't say, oh, let's do away with the whole traditional financial system that, you know, so that's that's the first point. The second is let's keep working towards regulatory clarity for centralized exchanges and custodians and stable coins and things like that while preserving the innovation potential for DeFi and self-custody because those have the opportunity to actually create an even better system which we can come back to in a minute don't resist the temptation to say oh we're you know we need more and more heavy regulation no we need to push forward the regulation we were already contemplating but then actually create a level playing field and don't allow you know citizens of these countries to go offshore to to other products like right now the incentive system is actually kind of backwards where the companies that are trying to do the regulated approach often end up with a worse product, fewer features, higher costs, and they're almost incentivizing the companies that are less regulated to go um, to draw these customers offshore. I'm, I'm here in Japan actually right now where I've been meeting with um, our team in Japan and the regulators here, and it's actually a very similar state story here as in the U.S., companies that have gotten locally licensed in Japan, and there's some regulatory clarity emerging have had a very hard time making compelling products. Whereas, you know, we've seen uh, Japanese customers go offshore to these unregulated exchanges. And, um, you know, we're starting to see some of the results of that. Brian, you, you mentioned this uh, in your thread as well, that this talk of um, tokens as well, and, you know, something that Coinbase has not done. Uh, famously, uh, Coinbase has IPO'd. But um, tokens, these sort of, I don't know what we'd call them, what we classify them as, uh, loyalty tokens, not sure what they are, but they were actually at the center of this story, um, part of the center of it, like leverage on tokens like FTT, uh, for example, and we've seen massive price swings. Um, what role do you think tokens play in this story? And uh, you know, what would you say the, the learning lessons for, for exchanges or centralized intermediaries are from, you know, from a token perspective? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm basically, there's a number of conversations that I've had and I, I don't want to reveal anything out of turn. Um, so I, I would say just high level, we need to wait until all the facts are in and let other people kind of share some of these stories as they come to light. Um, but I do think that there's certainly a risk just broadly of, there's nothing wrong with companies creating tokens, right? There's various types of tokens. There's reward tokens. There's some that are clearly non-securities. I think if companies want to, create tokens that are securities, there should be a regulated path to do that in the future and kind of register those in various markets around the world. So the issue is not tokens writ large. In fact, I think there should be more and more companies creating tokens and have regulatory clarity around that. It seems like, and again, the facts are not all in, um, that in these cases, these tokens may have been used to kind of, um, you know, inflate the assets on paper where there may not have been true liquidity there or true, true use cases. And, you know, we're seeing that come back in a, in a negative way. Um, you know, Coinbase, we, we would have liked to have done something like this. I think there's a lot of interesting tokens that um, could have been created. But again, we looked at the regulatory environment and we didn't find a way to do it that we felt was within um, the current regulatory frameworks. And so we decided not to do that. And I think obviously in moments like this, it looks like the right choice, but Ideally, we would be able to create tokens in a clear regulatory environment going forward, um, and I think it would prevent some of this activity.
Brian, one thing I'm concerned about is that um, Binance, this huge empire that's been built out in in the East, has uh, an insane amount of market share of centralized exchange volume. And uh, FTX and Coinbase have just been like neck and neck, kind of tied for a second in in volumes over the last like six months or so. Uh, And now if this deal goes through with Binance, uh, Binance will just gobble up the next biggest centralized exchange that exists on the market, just an insane amount of consolidation. And CZ is a person that plays a particular game. Uh, we started this episode talking about like kind of, it's like a game of Thrones. It's a game of centralized exchanges. Uh, and a certain, I feel like if you are a centralized exchange that issues an exchange token, you are playing in that game of Thrones. Um, Coinbase, doesn't seem to play, it plays a different game. And we, we both Ryan and I were, were saying while we were going through the stream, like, thank God for the differentiation between Coinbase and the rest of the market. So first off, thank you for, for being different and being what we called lawful good. But are you worried that there is this Binance empire that is offshore, that is this, this massive player that is playing in a different game that is like now, uh, like, just so entrenched into this industry, like I'm kind of worried about just the insane monopoly risk that is now happening to this industry. Uh, When you see the growth of Binance, uh, are you concerned for this industry? Yeah, I mean, a lot of questions there. And I I like the lawful good uh, framework, by the way. That's that's a good one. Um, Look, I I think it's good to have a variety of different companies with different approaches in most markets. Um, And I agree with you, centralization is bad. So there is a a place that the industry can get to where any one player has too much of any particular metric. You know, trading volume is the one people look at a lot, but there's there's lots of different ones you could look at. Um, I do think Coinbase and Binance are following pretty different approaches. And look, it's not my place to kind of say anything about what they're doing. I can just tell you what we're doing. And we're we're trying to follow a regulated, trusted approach. We're trying to think long term. Um, we're trying to enable people not just to do crypto trading, but to actually go use crypto. Like what I'm really passionate about is not just I'm I'm not really a, a trader by background. I'm a tech guy. I want to see a more free and uh, have have an economy for the world that has more economic freedom. So I want to see people using crypto for earning earning a living and buying stuff and commerce and remittance and peer-to-peer payments and then all kinds of new stuff in web three and dApps and whatnot. So, um, you know, trading, we, I think we have really good trading products and good trading tools. Sometimes it definitely feels like our hands are tied because we can't, um, offer some of the same products that we want. Other times it's just our own execution is getting in the way. Right. So I, I, you know, I think to look at it very intellectually, honestly, I think like 50% of it is we could be executing better and that's where we have our own work to do. The other 50% of it is that we're choosing to follow the rules and, you know, it's just like a very different, uh, it's, it's a more difficult path and like sometimes your hands are tied. So I, but I, you know, I think that's the right long-term strategy and um, I don't know if that's going to, what it looks like short-term, but long-term, I think that's definitely the right way we're going to go. At the center of this story was uh, SBF's approach to regulation and engagement with Capitol Hill. Uh, CZ, whether or not he actually meant it, uh, cited Sam's um, approach in, in regulation in D.C. and how he uh, CZ felt that Sam was really going to D.C. and then shutting the door behind him and leaving Binance out to dry. Uh, allegedly, this is what CZ uh, was one of the motivating factors behind CZ. And, and also the industry at large uh, kind of voiced their opinion, uh, especially with our episode with Eric Voorhees and SBF when we had that debate. No one really seemed to appreciate uh, to have appreciated Sam's approach to regulation. Uh, and that also seems to be one of the differentiators that I see out of Coinbase and, and your guys' approach to regulation and how to interface with, uh, with regulators on Capitol Hill. How, uh, if you were in Sam's position, which you are because you are the CEO of a centralized exchange, uh, how, how, what's the right way to approach regulators? Like how should he have been doing it uh, in, in your opinion? Yeah. So, you know, I'm trying to make sense of this, too, because I actually think Sam's approach with regulators and policymakers in D.C. was actually pretty good. I thought, um, you know, he he clearly had a passion for it. I think he he's he was smart and he advanced some of the issues in a meaningful way, um, which I give him credit for. I think that where he went on the DeFi side obviously was not like fully in line with what some of the values we have as an industry. And so that I think you guys did a great job of sort of bringing that stuff to light. I don't know. The most interesting 
story from my point of view is, um, you know, he gave a lot of money to various um, politicians in D.C. and had built these really strong relationships. And I guess I worry a little bit what's happening in their mind right now where they think, oh, well, I've got to go distance myself from this person who is now sort of persona non grata or something like that. Um, or maybe they're thinking, you know, we have to be careful. Why did I trust this person? And I, I don't really know what's going through their head. But I do I do think that D.C. is going to be a little more skeptical of people coming in and talking a good game if they if they admit they might feel like they got a little bit burned in this situation. You know, our, our approach to D.C. and just policymaking generally is we're a little bit more behind closed doors. You know, I, sometimes these people appreciate having like dialogue and back and forth that doesn't, you know, emerge on Twitter. <laughs> and so we've basically been behind the scenes trying to just be quiet and we try to give them all the credit and like not take any credit on our own. And I think we've done reasonably well advancing some of these conversations and defending the industry. Once in a while, if there's something we we feel like we need to speak out on like Tornado Cash, we'll actually, you know, take a stand and try to protect our customers from bad policy. But 95% of the time, it's, it's just us working with, there's like a lot of reasonable people in government and we can find common ground with them. And that's what we do most of the time. So Brian, uh, you alluded to this earlier and you actually end your tweet thread with it, which is uh, like, a, I, th I think in a really important place to go is, is just kind of what's next, how we actually solve this. You talk about Coinbase taking the long-term approach and you said about the long-term. Long-term, the crypto industry has an opportunity to build better systems with DeFi and self-custodial wallets that don't rely on trusting third parties. Instead, you can trust in code, math. Everything can be publicly auditable on chain. This is a topic for another day. Can, can you tease us a little bit about what you think the real solution to the problems that we've seen today over the last couple of days are? And how is DeFi part of a solution of the solution in your mind? Yeah. Well, you guys know this better than I do. I mean, you've been preaching this for, <laughs> for a long time. Um, and I'm a true believer. I mean, I think this is the real opportunity that crypto has um, to create a more transparent and fair and free financial system. Um, I'm a real believer in that. So, you know, I think people have to bifurcate these two things in their mind. Like a lot of the activity happening today is still on centralized products, exchanges, custodians, you know, that with stable coins. And that's fine. I mean, that stuff needs to exist as a bridge between the traditional financial world and the crypto financial world. And I think we can play a really important role there. And that stuff's going to be very regulated. And it probably should be. That's it's it's a financial service business. But Coinbase is also helping in you know the crypto to crypto world, the, the true crypto economy with DeFi and everything. And we've done that with Coinbase Wallet. You know, hopefully people have been realizing and seeing a lot of. We've been pushing a lot of updates this year. I think it's I think it's like an incredibly good place. Um, and we're enabling, for instance, people to access Web3 from directly in the Coinbase app, whether you're using Coinbase Wallet or our main retail app. Um, we invested in a bunch of MPC technology to make that kind of stuff work. Um, and we've we've started to build some decentralized apps ourselves. Like, for instance, some of this stuff is Web 2.5. You know, you're kind of getting closer and closer to Web3. But with, you know, for instance, Coinbase NFT and things like that, we're doing more and more on chain. We're introducing ENS into our products. So... You know, I think Coinbase can basically help in both areas. We're going to help. We make a lot of our revenue from the custodian exchange brokerage piece, but we're also starting to generate revenue in the Web3 piece. And I think over time, that'll become a bigger and bigger. I hope I hope someday, by the way, the majority of our revenue, our user base are accessing Coinbase through self-custodial, using web dApps and Web3. Um, that would tell me that we've actually succeeded in creating this new um, crypto economy. It's not just about trading anymore. So the entire crypto community and everyone watching has been through quite a tumultuous day, and there have been a few of those this year. Um, how would you summarize this? What do you, what do you, what message do you want to share with uh, the crypto community who's uh, tuning into Bankless right now? Yeah. Well, I would say you know it's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems in crypto. So um, this is not this is not unlike we've been through things like this before, right? We we went through Mt. Gox. We've been through crypto cycles up and down. We went through. Um, Three Arrows Capital and Celsius and Voyager and um, Terra Luna. So, look in any kind of in any kind of marketplace or economy or in capitalism, in startups, right? Like you know, a thousand ideas are going to be tried, and some of them aren't going to work, but others really will, and they'll rise to the top. And that's that's what capitalism is about. It's about trying many different ideas and seeing which ones work, and those grow, and they get to allocate more capital into the next things. So. 
this is incredibly painful. Um, I know that some people are probably in uh, experiencing financial hardship due to it, and they are in the traditional economy as well with down markets. So I, I want to be very sympathetic to that and also send out a reassuring message that, you know, crypto is 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 resilient. We're going to get through this and we're going to build the future in an even more powerful way. Brian, we appreciate you coming on and talking to the crypto community on days like this. I think it's particularly important. Um, you know, uh, I'm glad that Coinbase has always taken the, the, the approach that's taken of, um, you know, establishing a firm foundation, building strong and being there for the crypto industry when we need it. And, and days also, like this, we certainly need it. And also what Brian said, the strategy of following the rules, which is crazy that that's a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you. And thanks for coming on, Brian. Yeah. Thanks guys. I appreciate what both of you have done for the, the industry as well. So have a good day. Cheers. See you later. Uh, Bankless Nation, uh, as always, if you are tuning in, of course, and you have not hit the like or the subscribe button, please do so. Um, we're trying to keep you up to date on the latest that's going on. Today was uh, quite the day. Mm. Occasionally we have days like this where we just jump on the live stream. Uh, and um, I don't know if we're going to have any other guests here, David, but I do know something important might be about to happen. We'll, we'll, because... we'll get there. There's a one last uh, tweet. A new CZ just dropped, if you will. I oh, that, okay. Sent that to Sorry you, about Ryan. that. You want me to send that? Send you the, the link to that? Sure, yeah. I got it. Here it is. Here we go. Uh, two big lessons. CZ says he tweeted this out. Uh, let's see. Uh, Ten minutes ago. Never use a token you created as collateral, number one. Number two, don't borrow if you run a crypto business. Don't use <laughs> okay. capital efficiently. Have a large reserves. Binance yeah. has never used BNB for collateral, and we will have never taken on debt. Say Safu. Safu. Um, I, I, I just I can't read this, Ryan, and think that CZ is taking a victory lap and also just like I, he definitely just sniped the hell out of FTX. Uh, he's like, you guys opened up a weakness using your token that you created as collateral and I sniped you. And now here's my victory tweet. That's how, that's how I interpret this. Yeah. But I, yes. And I also think that these are, uh, good and obvious takeaways, yes. right? Never use it. It's, it's, it's interesting how you, um, um, you know, the faster they rise, the faster they fall kind of thing. It's, it's just, um, I think part of the reason that FTX, it seems like in Alameda, um, rose so fast is because they were taking excess risk. So borrowing uh, while running a crypto business, um, not having a large reserve, leveraging the token that they, they created. Uh, I mean, Brian Armstrong's approach we just heard is like, don't create a token in the first place right. if you don't need it, right? CZ pushed that a little farther and said, we're going to have a token. And then CZ said, and then FTX said, we're going to have a token and we're going to use it as collateral. Uh, so just kind of juicing up the growth, growing a little faster, but at the cost of, of risk. This is what things like, like margin give you and certainly tokens give you superpowers uh, in these areas. Um, yeah. And I think that'll bring us to the final slide that we want to bring up because this is the, the ETH Maxi show. So we do the ETH Maxi thing. <laughs> it's uh, not an ETH Maxi show, David. <laughs> This is not, why do you say that? Now well, people I'm, say it. I'm making fun of people who make fun of us. Anyways. Uh, and yet still we're here at the ultrasound money yes, chart. So and yet uh, here we are. Okay. Uh, so Ether is below 100 Ether issued since merge. This is what happens when volatility hits the markets. Uh, and this is why I'm, I'm always super bullish on the burn because this the burn rate that we've seen thus far has been a bear market burn. Uh, this straight line down in the last like hour or so has I, I think something like two or three thousand ether has been burnt in, in in one or two hours. Wait, wait, wait a second. I, I just want to underline this. Are we ninety ETH away from, from ultrasound money? Ultrasound, yes, correct. Ninety are, ETH away. Ninety and ETH away. I remember was it last week? We were about like uh twenty five hundred. Yes. Three thousand. Well, it was ETH today. Away? It was today we were twenty five hundred. This morning we this were twenty five. Yeah. 1800 excuse me uh and so uh depending on it the gas is coming down it, it peaked around 500 or 600 we're now at 36 we're still so we're still burning ether but the rate of burn is going down i think it's going to be at this rate an hour ryan or so before we go ultrasound it's also a chance that we touch the bottom and don't actually go through it at the rate that gas is calming down um, but we <laughs> david are so, really so really close. wanted we, he really really wanted this to happen on the live stream yeah, really, but i, I don't I, think it's going to happen what i'm saying is it might be one to three to four hours perhaps yeah i'm not perhaps i'm not hanging not, out not for that long <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah at least we showed you uh, ultrasound money website at the yeah. end and we're real close real um close. i mean it's got it it's, it's got to be 
one Sometimes one more liquidation and ETH is ultrasound. That's no, the rules. One, so look for the tweets, I guess. We're not coming back in the live stream to stream that after um after that epic live stream that we, wow man, we had uh Eric Voorhees on, Brian Selkis on, Brian, Brian freaking Armstrong on. We covered the event. Uh hope you guys enjoyed this. We'll be putting this out in the podcast feed as well. David, is there anything else we should share with the Bankless Nation? Uh, Ryan, I'm kind of I'm uh, sad for you because uh, you don't get to engage with the chat as much as I do while we do oh, these live streams. Happy but the, thing? the chat is just so fun, man. Uh, and especially it's like the <laughs> Bankless community. So th thanks for the again the four thousand people that showed up and all the people hanging out in the in the chat. Uh, so shout out to shout out to all the people in there. Uh, and so we we definitely enjoy you guys and definitely appreciate you being here. So you know make sure to like and subscribe so you get notified whenever we go live. Well, That's guys, I'm gonna. I'm going to end it as we always do risks and disclaimers on days like this. These risks and disclaimers should mean a little bit more. Crypto is risky. All of it is. DeFi is risky, but so are centralized exchanges, maybe especially centralized exchanges. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.